everyone. I'm Blake Bartlett, and I'm a partner here at OpenView. As a VC firm, we invest in software companies and help them grow faster. This season on the Build podcast, we're talking about product-led growth. Each week, I sit down with operators to hear firsthand how they've put their product at the center of user acquisition, conversion, and expansion. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is all about building products that users love. And it's hard to think of a better example of this than Trello. And we're in luck because today we're going to be hearing from Justin Gallagher, who's been leading up product at Trello for the last nine years. He shares a ton of wisdom with us about how to keep your products simple and fun while still delivering a ton of value to business users. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, I want to jump into all things product and all things product-led growth at Trello, and I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of wisdom there. But before we jump in there, let's talk about your background for a bit. So how did you go from seven years at Deloitte to leading product for one of the coolest software companies around? Talk to us about that journey. So I started working at Deloitte straight out of school. I actually studied computer science, but I really didn't know, you know what I wanted to do coming out of school. Through connections and people I knew and just talking to people, I ended up going into the consulting world. This was also early 2000s, so you know, just a little bit after 9-11, not the easiest time in the world to get a job. So anyway, long story short, I ended up at Deloitte and I was within a little small group there that was doing technology work. Basically, we would get hired by lawyers who were working on some kind of a financial either dispute or investigation between you know, companies or the government and a company. And initially, we would come in and we would collect a whole bunch of data and do a bunch of data analysis and kind of help to describe what was happening from a financial perspective. Over time, that transitioned to building little apps, essentially, not like mobile apps. These were you know, desktop apps and then eventually web apps, where you would enable you know, folks who were not technical, people like accountants and economists and lawyers and all those kind of folks, to kind of dig into the data themselves and find transactions and do that kind of stuff. So even within Deloitte, I was kind of building tools and working with teams to build tools. And it was actually a really great experience. I learned a lot. I ultimately decided it wasn't for me for a couple of reasons, which I'll tell you about in a second. But I still highly recommend to people that they start their career that way because you know I really learned how to be a professional and how to deal with clients and partners and managers and colleagues and all that in a very fast-paced environment. One of the cool things about consulting is you go project to project. You know, so I'd work on a project for somewhere between six months to maybe 18 months or two years on a really long project. But you have different clients, different managers, different partners, different teams that you're working with. So you just get like a lot of experience really quickly, which I thought was really valuable and has helped me throughout my career. The reasons I decided it wasn't for me were basically as I moved up, it became less about getting in there and building things and more about getting additional business, you know, essentially sales and marketing kind of stuff, which I just didn't feel like was my strong suit. Some people are great at that. I think I'm better at building stuff than marketing and sales. But also the thing that really made the decision for me was that we were building these things for clients that we were working Working with. And I always felt like just as they were good, right, just as they did the thing that we wanted them to do, and they were working and people were using them, that's when the project would end and you would go to a new project and start from scratch. And, you know, I just started to really want to have this experience of like, okay, we built version one, it's working. Let's learn more about how we can make it better. Let's iterate on this thing. Let's make it into something just super awesome. And that just wasn't how that worked there. So I was looking for, you know, kind of like a startup-y or small business, more technology-focused company for a while. And it was actually hard. I was having a hard time finding a new job because people that were working there didn't really see my consulting experience as valuable. I decided that I had to put something else on my resume that would be valuable and that they would respond to. 
And this was conveniently for me, right about the time that the iPhone came out, I guess it was maybe, what was it, like a year later or something that the actual developer SDKs were released. And I remember seeing the keynote and Steve Jobs announcing this stuff. And I had an iPhone. I thought it was super cool. And I was like, oh my God, this is like amazing. I got to learn how to do this. So I actually remember I called in sick from work and went to the Apple store and got the latest iPhone. And I learned while I was there that the computer that I had wasn't good enough to run Xcode. So I bought a new computer. So I went and spent like, I don't know, $2,500 or something, which my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, thought I was insane for doing. But then I just started teaching myself how to build iPhone apps. And in the process of doing that, I spent a lot of time on Stack Overflow, which for people who might not know, it's kind of like a question and answer site on the internet where you can find answers to any kind of developer question you might have. So I spent a lot of time there asking questions and learning and eventually answering questions. And coincidentally, Stack Overflow was kind of debuting a new product called Stack Overflow Careers, where companies that were searching for developers could kind of search by location and, you know, the kind of questions that you had answered and that sort of stuff. So Stack Overflow started as a joint venture with Fog Creek. And so Michael Pryor, who was co-founder of Fog Creek, and I think he was CFO of Stack Overflow at the time, reached out to me coincidentally to come work at Fog Creek. And we got to talking and found a role that seemed like a good fit. And that was it. And so this was all pre-Trello. I went to work at Fog Creek Software in New York. Worked there for about six months, and we started this initiative to kind of try to come up with some innovative new ideas. And I got to be one of the first two people to work on this new idea that eventually turned into Trello. And it just kind of grew from there. And I've been now working on Trello for almost nine years, which is crazy. But yeah, it was just a lot of kind of luck and good timing and jumping on the opportunity. And luckily, it grew into something. And now in the last nine years of leading product on Trello, what do you love about product management? So for me, the thing, like I said, I studied computer science in school. So I have that sort of like engineering side to me. I'm not the world's greatest engineer by any means, but I can write some code and hack some things together. I've also always really liked, you know, art and design and that sort of stuff. I was always into like photography and drawing and architecture. And just, I like that side of things too. And then, like I said, when I was working at Deloitte, I started there doing data analytics work. So for me, product management kind of like pulls all those things together. I love the sort of like cross-functional aspect of it and really thinking about, you know, what are we building? How are we building it? How are we measuring it? How are we making it into a business? And then, you know, just working with people who are really excellent at that, working with awesome engineers, designers, strategy people, all kinds of folks to just make something really cool and bring that to the world. So that's kind of what keeps me excited about it and keeps me doing it. And when did you guys know that Trello was working? When was this a thing? Yeah, so we were really lucky when we started Trello because we started it as a product at Fog Creek and Fog Creek had a bit of an audience. So we built it kind of in private beta for nine months. We started working on it in January 2011. And we eventually, a few months later, got accepted to TechCrunch Disrupt in San Francisco to launch there as a new product. And that conference was scheduled for September. So we had a launch date. I think we knew that we were onto something when we launched, you know, we had, I think it was like maybe two or 400, I forget, beta users in private beta up till then. And when we launched, we had something like 50,000 people sign up in the first two days, which was, you know, beyond our expectations by far. And that was really cool. Now, a lot of those people just were kicking the tires and went away. But we saw that there was a core group of people who stayed and were using it. And we started to see that growth happening over time. And the thing that really stuck out to us was that people, it wasn't just that they were using it, but that we were hearing from people and they just loved the product. Like they were just so excited about it. And we really noticed that there was this connection between the product and the brand and people. And that felt like something special and something that was worth investing in and continuing. Jumping into some specifics on Trello, there's a million directions that we could go. But I wanted to pull on that thread a bit more, which is that you had this initial sort of wave of adoption. And then it started to build the kind of this movement inside the broader community and really started to snowball from there. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of word of mouth that drives then user growth at Trello. 
is there virality as well that's built into the product? And I guess what are the different ways that users, you know, discover the product? Yeah, that's a good question. There is virality in a sense. I mean, Trello is a collaborative product. And so, you know, people invite other people to use it with them. We're actually really intentional about that. We were very worried in the early days of positioning Trello as like a to-do app or a notes app or something like that, because we thought that it was really important, like kind of the initial position in people's minds that you occupy as a product. And I think if you occupy a position where they think of your product as like, this is my stuff, this is where I do my stuff, whether it's my tasks or my to-dos or my notes or whatever, it's really hard to then convince them to share that stuff because it feels weird to share your sort of personal things. So we always were very conscious of talking about and showing the product as something that was collaborative because we wanted to occupy a collaborative spot in people's minds. But I think that helped because I think when people came in, they're like, okay, cool. You know, I, this is something that I use with other people. This is something that I share with my team or my family or whatever it is. The other thing that I like to think about with respect to kind of this word of mouth growth is I think it's really important to have a product that can deliver individual value, but that sort of seamlessly transitions to that collaborative value. So with Trello, if you sign up, you can set up a board and you know start creating cards and adding things and kind of get things going without anybody else in there. And then you can, you know, once hopefully you've seen some value in that, you can invite other people to use it with you and collaborate on that board, whatever it's for. I think that's super important. A lot of times when I, you know, I play with a lot of products and test things out just because I think that's fun. And a lot of times I notice that people, I think they're trying to optimize for growth or virality or they're trying to speed up that viral loop. But oftentimes they really put the sort of like sharing or invitation options, in my opinion, way too early in the flow before I as a user have even seen any value in the product or I'm even convinced that this is something I want to share. I feel like it's a big ask, especially this day and age. You know, there's so many apps and products out there and I don't want to bother my work colleagues with, you know, some product that ends up being not useful. So I feel like it's really important to kind of demonstrate value very quickly to the individual and then use that trust that you build up through showing that value to leverage that into virality and collaboration. So that's been our philosophy, you know, not a lot of sort of trickery or optimization, but let's just build something useful. Let's try to build it in a way that connects with people. You know, and the way we do that is make it customizable and visual and hopefully a little bit fun, have some personality and some voice in your product and, you know, leverage the value that you're providing them and the sort of connection that you've made with them into something that they want to talk about, that they want to share with other people. And so if we think about the viral loop, if you want to call it that, is oriented around the collaboration and around the inviting of folks into your board to collaborate with you, understand exactly what you meant that, you know, it's important to drive value and deliver value to the first user before you get too front and center with requesting invites and shares and that kind of stuff. But is there anything that you guys have done to enhance and amplify, you know, that virality? Yeah, I mean, we've done other things where we've tried to experiment with more just like kind of straight up viral experiments. Like one of the things we have, we have a paid product called Trello Gold, which is an individual product. So as an individual, you can upgrade to a gold account and you get some extra features and kind of fun stuff. One of the things that we did is that if you invite somebody to the product and they sign up and confirm their email address, you'll get a free month of Trello Gold. We thought that would be cool for a couple of reasons. One, it's like, you know, something you can pay for. So it has actual value. So we thought that, you know, people might be willing to invite people to earn that. And two, we thought on the sort of revenue generating side of things, hopefully they would like the features that were there. And then when they ran out of the free months of it, however many months they got, that they would want to continue to pay for it because it had some cool stuff in it. That worked to an extent, but I think, you know, our sort of natural collaboration and built-in virality dwarfs that sort of like more growth hacky side of things there. 
The biggest thing we've done is tuning the onboarding process and making it so that when people come into Trello and they sign up, whether they're signing up cold because they you know, went to the website and clicked the sign up button, or they're signing up because somebody invited them, that we orient them and teach them how to use the product and you know, get them in there as quickly as possible. And again, demonstrate value as quickly as possible. Another thing that we've done on the invitation side is to enable personalization and customization of those invitations. We started to see there was a lot of things that looked like one user was inviting another user, but they weren't doing it explicitly through the invitation mechanism. We would see that a user joined a board that existed before they created their account. So our assumption there was that they signed up to join that board, but they didn't sign up with an explicit invitation. They just clicked the sign up button. As we did a little research there, something we learned was that people would walk over to their colleagues and be like, hey, sign up for Trello. Here's how you sign up. You know, get you set up, get your account set up. And then once they had an account, they would go back and be like, okay, join this board here. And so that was interesting because they could have just used the invitation functionality in the product and, you know, done it that way. But they were choosing to do this very sort of handholdy kind of personal experience. So some things that we've done is we allowed people, and this is not groundbreaking stuff, a lot of products do it, but we allowed people to write a little custom message when you create the invitation. We started notifying the inviter when the invitee signed up, and we prompted them to do a couple things in product to kind of help the invitee get up to speed. And other things like that, where we tried to tailor the invitation process to be more akin to how you might do it in person if you were literally sitting next to that person and walking them through it. And that made a big difference. I think it built trust in the invitation process because people were like, my colleague or my friend is not going to get this weird invitation they don't understand. I can write something custom in here that you know says, hey, I'm using this for this particular project and here's why it's going to be good. Sign up. And it sort of like built that more end-to-end experience. So that worked. That definitely increased the number of invitations we saw and the rate at which those invitations were accepted and turned into active users and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of thinking about that process as like, if you're two humans, how would you do this in the real world? And then how do we build the software to emulate that was effective. And then when, when users come into the top of the funnel, whether they're invited in to collaborate or they discover through word of mouth or whatever it may be, then obviously the product is a free self-serve oriented product. And I want to ask a couple questions about that. So what are the concepts that you think in the product are most important to get right for self-serve? And what are some of the most common failure modes for self-serve that you see? The way we think about that is honestly just keeping it very, very simple and doing the basics as well as possible. You know, we've experimented with a variety of different signup flows that we thought would be really good for various reasons over the years. And it turned out that really just keeping that as streamlined as possible and getting people into the product as quickly as possible was the best way to optimize for signups. And then once they're in there, we've done a lot of experimentation around how do we teach you how to use it? You know, do we do those little tip overlay things or, you know, other mechanisms within the product to teach you? What we found the most success with is keep that signup process super streamlined. Once people are in product as much as possible, use the product itself to teach you how to use it. Have a clear hierarchy in your mind as a creator of the product. What are the most important features and you know bits of functionality that new users need to know about? And don't overwhelm them with 100 features. And then just follow through on the promise, right? Like you've promised some things on the landing page. Make sure that you carry those through in the product and do the basics. Make it fast, make it easy to use. That's worked really well for us. And then based on some of those experiments that you had talked about and different approaches, say, to the onboarding flow, that brings to me a question of really the growth side of your product and of your product organization and how you tackle that with the team. So do you guys have sort of a dedicated growth team or individual growth engineers that think about that sign-up flow or think about conversion and various different sort of product-led growth KPIs like that? Or is that kind of growth mentality built into the rhythm of the product team itself, the core product team? 
Yeah. So Atlassian as a whole does have a growth team. We on Trello specifically do not have a growth team. However, we do have teams that focus on sort of growthy type aspects. And we also try to encourage most of our teams to operate in a way that is similar to how a growth team might operate, which is to say metrics-driven, experiment-driven, move quickly, test ideas, that sort of stuff. And then how does the team prioritize building the product itself versus the product-led growth engine side of it? Because I can imagine that, and this is a guess, but I can imagine that there can be things that could be at odds with one another. Something might be really good for the conversion flow, but it might sort of violate something you're trying to do for users and vice versa. Users might be requesting a feature, but that's going to harm the virality or whatever it may be in the growth funnel. So if there's trade-offs between the core product features itself and then the product-led growth engine, how do you think about those trade-offs and how do you prioritize? We mostly just think about building a really good product and a really good experience overall. So whenever we're testing conversion optimization and that sort of stuff, we're always looking at longer term metrics too and making sure we're not you know, optimizing, let's say, activation and onboarding at the expense of longer term retention. I don't really think of those two things as being at odds, I guess. What we try to do is mostly just think about how we get the best of both aspects, right? Like how we get the best longer term experience and the optimal conversion rates and all that kind of stuff. When we're looking at feature requests, we're very conscious of keeping the product very succinct and minimal and you know as easy to use as possible. And to us, a large part of that is not overwhelming people with a million features when they sign up. And what are some of the metrics that are most important to the product team at Trello? We look at a ton of stuff. You know, we look at the typical pirate metrics that, you know, lots of people use around acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral, that sort of stuff. One of the metrics that we picked that was kind of unique, I think, was a metric that we call 4 and 28. It's something we made up, honestly, but it's sort of like a monthly active user type metric, but it's a little different. And so what it means, and the reason we call it 4 and 28 is it means on four different days over the last 28 days or over any 28 day period. A user is considered to be 4 and 28 if they have done something in the product that is a kind of content creation. So maybe they created a card, wrote a comment, moved a card, you know, something that would be, we call them write actions. So it would be like a write action in the database. The reason we look at that is because we know there's a couple different use cases of Trello. There's users who are in there creating cards, moving things around, adding comments, attaching files, all that kind of stuff. And then there's other people who are in there on a given board and they might be just kind of observing. Maybe they're the manager or an executive or just somebody who's interested in the project. And they're looking at the board and they might be reading stuff, but they're not creating additional content. We always felt like if there's people in there who are creating things and who are moving things around, the observers will follow. They'll always be there. But if creation slows down, the observing is going to slow down too. So that's why we chose to focus in on that. We don't think Trello necessarily has to be a daily active use product. There, I mean, there are people who are in there every day using it, but that's not necessarily what we expect people to do. So 4 and 28 is kind of like a weekly active user, monthly active user blended metric, but also a higher bar because people have to be in there creating content. So we really look at that and pay attention to that and make sure that that's always growing. And when we're doing other kinds of experimentation around, you know, driving acquisition or activation or other things, we're always saying like, are we doing this in a way that is also driving up 4 and 20? And then shifting gears slightly to talk about the other side of product, which is product marketing, right? To me, product marketing is super important, but oftentimes doesn't get as much airtime, (laughs) at least publicly, as product and product management itself. But being able to message to the audience kind of what is the value you're going to get out of this? And then also, how is this different or unique from everything else that you could be using to solve this problem? And so if I think about you know that messaging and that sort of communication to users, product marketing, 
especially in a sort of very crowded category and in a category where once you guys started to be successful, the number of copycats just started to compound as well. How did you approach that messaging side of things? I mean, the original voice of Trello was really a combination of the voices of the people who worked on Trello. I suppose that's pretty common when you start up in a small team. But we always were very conscious of building a product that had a very human tone to it, was helpful, but fun, even a little bit funny in certain places. We're very careful and conscious of trying to carry that through our marketing pages and our landing pages, but also everywhere else, right? Through into the product, into our help documentation, you know, notification emails. Anytime you were touching the product, the product was touching you in some way or the brand really, not just the product. We wanted to have that feel that you were hearing that Trello voice. We worked very closely with our marketing team to try and do that. And I think that's important because I think it helps people to connect more with the brand and feel more of an emotional connection to the product as a result. And so we've documented that stuff in our Trello principles. Some of them go into the voice and the fun aspects of the product. As you said, there's so many products out there. There's more products every single day. And and really, to get a connection with users, you have to build something that resonates with them and something that they want to connect with and that they want to use. And so I think we've had a great product marketing team that's done a ton of great content creation and just a ton of great refinement on that voice and really communicating that out to users. And I've seen it work. And the other thing I noticed, by the way, is I was saying earlier that I test products all the time. You know, I love to find a new product on Product Hunt or somewhere else and download it and try it out. I see so often that promises made on the, you know, the landing page or the app store listing or whatever it is are just not carried through in the product. It's different things in different places. Sometimes there's like a very cool voice and tone on the marketing pages and then you get into the product and it feels very dry and bland. Or sometimes it's like the screenshots and the marketing page are beautifully designed and look amazing. And then you get into the product and it just doesn't carry that through. You know, if the product feels clunky or, you know, one of those like stereotypical like developer design products where it's like the white space is not correct and things don't line up. So I think, you know, just having that consistency where people feel like there's one voice that's carried through with every touch point with that brand is huge. And we've been really careful about that. The three points that I took away from that was, you know, one, yes, it's super important what you say. That's kind of classic product marketing. But it's also really important how you say it. And that's the brand voice and everything that you talked about there, which is incredibly important. And then three, this is something I had not heard before, but really resonates and makes sense is this idea of consistency, right? That you can't overpromise and then dramatically underdeliver once somebody gets into your product. <laughs> you want to keep it consistent and meet the expectations that you've set in the messaging that caused somebody to sign up in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's got to go through there too. You know, if you're going to send them an email about a pricing change or a terms of service change or even just, you know, typical drip campaign that's teaching them how to use the product or about some new feature that you just released. You want to carry that through there too. And you just want you know that consistency of voice and consistency of brand, I think is so important. Now, in closing, I do have one final question for you. So recently, I heard you talking about the 10 Trello principles, which guide sort of uh, some of the culture at the company, but also certainly on the product front. So which of the 10 Trello principles is your favorite? Tell us more about that one. Yeah, sure. So for anybody who hasn't seen them, you could check out our principles at design.trello.com. If you're curious, it's all public there. You have 10 principles that sort of guide our product and decisions and marketing decisions and brand decisions and all kinds of stuff. Sometimes people expect them to be like these really unique ideas that they've never thought of. You know, they're not that crazy. I think if you look at them, we have things like easy, 
fun, collaborative. Probably everybody says those about the products that they're building. It's hard to pick one because what really makes them shine is when they're used in concert with each other, right? When you start to build an easy, collaborative, tactile experience, that's something that feels very Trello-y. If I had to pick one, I'm torn. There's two that I could pick. I'm going to cop out. I'll give you two answers. One is direct. I really like the direct principle. So this is the idea that when you're interacting with Trello, whether you're on a mobile app or web app or desktop app, whatever it is, you're interacting directly with the objects on your screen. So when you move a card, you literally click it or tap it and pick it up and drag it. Or when you're editing the name of a list, you just tap or click on the title of the list. It turns into a text box. You edit it, you hit enter, you're done. This is very different than I think what was a little bit of an older school way of creating software, which is like you have some edit menu. And when you click the edit menu, it pops up this little form and you fill out basically a recipe for whatever the thing is. You know, if it was a list, maybe you say list position and list title and that kind of stuff. And then you hit save and then it changes the object. So it's like indirect. I really like that direct manipulation, especially on touch devices. It just feels so much better. And I think it's so much easier for people to pick up on because it's much more like the real world, right? That's generally how you would operate. If you're moving a post-it note across the wall, you pick it up and move it across the wall. So I really like that. And I see so many times where people in other products don't do that. I personally think it makes for better experiences in general. The other one that I like is this idea of fun. You know, Trello has always been a tool for being productive and getting things done and being organized and collaborating. And we always knew that people at businesses and, you know, entire companies at times would use it for serious stuff. But to me, that doesn't mean that it has to be boring enterprise software that has to be serious and drab and, you know, blue and gray all the time and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, again, with so many choices out there, people are going to pick the products that resonate with them and that make them feel like they can express themselves through it. And I think, you know, aspects of customization and the visual aspects of Trello really make it fun. And, you know, it's okay to be fun at work. It's okay to be fun when you're planning something. And so I really like that principle as well. Well, Justin, this has been great. A ton of wisdom on product, ton of wisdom on product-led growth from the conversation and also incredibly Trello-y. So thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Hope it was helpful and useful for people and honored to be on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you won't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. And you can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. You can do this by going to openviewpartners.com newsletter. See you next time.